Welcome to our 100th episode of Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century and beyond. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me as always is my co-host who secretly wishes he was the fourth musketeer, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? 100 episodes? Can you believe it? That is insane. I know. That is insane. I I can't believe that that's where we are. Yeah, that's a lot of hours of prep and watching movies and dissecting them and thinking things through and then coming together once a week to uh, to share what we figured out. And if you at home listen to all 100 plus hours of Andy and I talking about Disney movies, well done, you. Yay! Well done. <laughs> Achievement unlocked. Awesome. We're going to read some uh, listener letters and notes here at the end of this podcast. I'm excited. People might want to stick around for that. Yep. So, and we're also taping this the week of the Disney Company's 100th birthday. Again, did not plan for things to coincide with that. Not even a little bit. No. Just another happy bit of kismet for this podcast. It's just amazing how that line... Obviously, if we'd planned it, we would have planned it to come out the 100th. But right. still... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're I, still there. We're so close. We are still there. And I am super excited for today's movie, which yes. is Mickey, Donald, and Goofy, The Three Musketeers from 2004. Which played every single day in my house from the years 2008 to like 2011. I'm not even kidding. Every day we watch this DVD, it is ingrained in all of our brains. Uh, and and while 2004 is a little outside our rules, it's our hundredth episode. I wanted Mickey to be a part of it. Absolutely. Uh, and and honestly, if you have not seen this movie, it is a treat for your inner child. It, I think it really is. Absolute treasure. Absolute treasure. I had I, either I had seen it and forgotten about it or but this felt very new and fresh. So I think I was a first timer. OK, well, well, good. I can't wait. I can't wait to discuss it. OK, you have any key, key I, facts? I do have key facts. Um, so most people are aware of The Three Musketeers, either as a very famous French adventure novel by Alexandre Dumas, uh, mm-hmm. one of the hundreds, and I am not exaggerating, people, go search for Musketeer on IMDb, hundreds of film and television adaptations, or they might know it as a candy bar, which is one of my favorites on Halloween. Okay, uh, they certainly know it as a candy bar. Right. Well, the candy bar used to be three flavors in one, hence the name, chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. What? Yes. There used to be a chocolate section, a vanilla section, and a strawberry section until the war in 1945, and then it just became chocolate over whipped nougat, but I digress. Yes, we will cover that in our Once Upon a Candy Bar podcast uh, right, which, right. which we are working on. We're going to develop. No, it was a rabbit hole I went down for quite a while. And I was like, I've always wondered why Three Musketeers was named Three Musketeers. And now I, I know. never knew this. And now I want one of the originals. <laughs> no, me too. Me too. Okay. So our movie today, Mickey Donald Goofy, The Three Musketeers, was released as a Disney direct to DVD movie. Animator Floyd Norman 
worked on tons of Disney projects. Um, he, I mean, he'd been with them for years. He worked on Sleeping Beauty, The Sword in the Stone, The Jungle Book. He left the company mm-hmm. for a while, went and worked with Hanna-Barbera, then rejoined in the 1980s. And he tells the story of the genesis of this project in an interview I read. So in the 1980s, Michael Eisner was looking for animated projects that didn't cost $100 million to make. And they might be doing that now, too. Um, This started sort of an era of these direct-to-DVD prequels and sequels. They were done on a much smaller budget, but they were something that children and their families would purchase, rent, and watch. Right? Mm -hmm. Um. At that time, there were when Norman was with the company, even back in the 80s, there had been a number of ideas in development for Mickey where he would be a famous explorer. Uh, there was one where he it was a retelling of the Three Musketeers, but none of these had ever seen the light of day. And it was just kind of chef, you know, put on the shelf and nobody talked about. It. Well, now it's 2002. And even though he was working on other projects, even with Pixar, Floyd Norman could not stay away from this epic Disney movie and they would have pitch sessions and he would, he would be in the pitch session. Like, well, how, where did you come from? And he, he just couldn't stay away because it was animated and crafted the old fashioned way, the way he had done it years, years before. Um, and he, he was thrilled about that. So the up, he said that the upcoming celebration of the mouse's 75th birthday was on the horizon and for a company that prides itself on synergy, things couldn't have been better. I am just imagining that somewhere in the recesses of Walt Disney Productions, there is like a, a library full of Mickey Mouse versions of classic literature. Mm-hmm. Like like um, The Mouse in the Iron Mask, uh, The Count of Mickey Cristo. I mean, right. some, something along the, like, oh man, oh man. What treasures, what treasures must lie there? Exactly, exactly. So in an interview with Indie Wire, celebrating the 10th anniversary of this film, director Donovan Cook stated that while this is a classic story told in a classic production style with classical music, they wanted this piece to make everyone laugh. Um, and starting with themselves, if they weren't laughing, Good. then it, yeah. So I thought that was really great. Uh, the production team loved the older versions of Mickey And character designer Bob McKnight chose a version of Mickey that was redesigned in 1938 by Fred Moore for Fantasia. Mm -hmm. So if you see Fantasia and the Sorcerer's Apprentice, you'll probably notice that these two Mickeys are pretty similar um, with very minor differences. Donovan Cook said he wanted a piece that was dynamic, but it also kept that watercolor look because, as he said, quote, I just felt those characters never lived better in any world than when they lived in that watercolor world of the 30s. Okay. I mean, I I don't necessarily disagree with that. There is something magical about that that watercolor style. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so Cook really wanted this movie to have a theatrical release. I mean, why wouldn't he? But because it was 2D animation that Michael Eisner was completely done with and phasing out, that wasn't going to happen. Plus, there were people at the Disney Studios who didn't feel Mickey had enough marketing momentum to have a theatrical feature. I don't believe that, Annie. I don't either. Mickey Mouse is huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, really. I mean, he is a star. Mm -hmm. I agree. 
I, yeah. I have tr- I have trouble imagining it. Me too. Me too. So Floyd Nowerman, the animator I mentioned earlier, was devastated also that this movie didn't get a theatrical release, but so it was. Now, Mickey, Should've. of course, was no stranger to the silver screen with his multiple shorts, right? That's where he got his start. But the only feature movie starring Mickey Mouse that ever got theatrical releases, if you don't include his cameo appearances, were the package films Fantasia and Fun and Fancy Free. Wow. Well, yeah. Mickey's star power has not been fully utilized. I I think a Mickey Mouse movie today would would be a big hit. People would go. I would go. Absolutely. Mickey on the big screen. Agree. All right. I have one additional little factoid for you. Okay. If you bought the Three Musketeers DVD, as I bought more than one copy because the first one got so scratched up, we needed a second. There is a special feature not available on Disney Plus in which Mickey, Donald, Goofy, and Pete do a commentary on the opening scenes inside uh, <gasps> where, where they're working on the boiler and 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 Pete's talking about commercials he's auditioning for oh, and and they're talking about whether the plumbing could really happen it it it's not the entire movie it's like a it's like a 5 to 10 minute little snippet super fun i don't know why it's not on disney plus if i can find it somewhere uh on youtube that where it's been put up i'll i'll put a link to it uh awesome. on on the facebook page but it is super fun it's super fun. That. It's such a it's such a fun movie. And they were having such fun in the 2000s with DVD extras and fast play and all those things uh with these direct to DVD things. So, it, yeah, super fun. Nothing wrong with joyfully exploring your content. Never. Uh, it's never it's absolutely the right way to go. Uh and it is with some joy that I go to the Manish Tana for this movie, which is a cur- like uh, if there's a sticking point in this movie, here it is. It's the Manish Tana. Uh, so, well, no, I said if. I said if, not okay, okay. Because there's an argument to be made. So, sure. the Manish Tana, uh, worth saying one more time, is uh, where the movie chooses to start. Why does it start? Where it starts? What's the point of attack? This movie starts in an interesting place. We begin not with our protagonists, but with a turtle. The turtle uh, is very interested in singing songs about the Three Musketeer that, quote unquote, he wrote himself, question mark. Uh, But the narrator, the narrator of the piece is not interested in having him uh, do any of the music. And we have this little bit where, by accident, the narrator takes himself out of the equation, falls down an open pit. Uh, the turtle ends up in the narrator's chair and starts telling us the story. It's not clear whether he's telling us the Three Musketeers that was being planned or if mm-hmm. he just has a comic book version that has Mickey, Donald, and Goofy in it and he's choosing to tell this version. He's super excited about singing his songs. And I and that is how this movie begins. Not with exposition, but with uh, a two to three minute introduction to our narrator and his motives. And I don't know. So, so Andy. Yes. Why start here? Well, I have an idea. Uh, Go for it, it. It opens on a book in a very traditional Disney way with the narrator. But mm-hmm. it's a comic book and a troubadour who was never supposed to be the narrator. 
So this movie from the very beginning is going to say, hey, we're doing this in a classical way, but we're not going to take ourselves seriously at all. So buckle up. This is going to be fun. Um, The maestro who is putting this together doesn't want the troubadour turtle around and thumps him, right? And there's this karmic justice that's served as the maestro falls down a chute. And through a sequence of comedic errors, the turtle is in the narrator's chair. And I think that says something. I don't know if there's a backstory about this, but, you know, turtles are kind of slow. That's the. Yeah, why is he a turtle? He is not slow. He's not. And so I think things just aren't as they seem. And I think they're just kind of playing. They're they're showing us they're going to play with some tropes here. I mean, I mean, it's also the movie in mini version, which is. The turtle wants to be a narrator. He's told by someone bigger and more powerful than him that he will never be a narrator. And he ends up rising to the challenge and narrating the story and getting his dreams. That right. is this entire movie in three minutes. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would recommend other movies to follow this as their opening. I don't think we always need to meet the narrator. I think the other thing that happens is later on in the movie... Donald Duck is going to have his dark midnight of the soul, and the narrator is going to enter into the story. And if we don't meet the narrator early on, uh, who is Donald Duck talking to? We're not going to get a good payoff, right? So This reminds me very much of Robin Hood, how Robin Hood begins mm-hmm. with uh, Alan Adale, the rooster. Right. Uh, but this narrator, I think, is better than Alan Adale is. Alan Adale is very much like, well, I got a story to tell you. This narrator is so excited to tell us his story. He loves it. This is his favorite story. Yes. Yes. And then uh, having an enthusiastic narrator helps. By the way, there was a comic book that came out as part of the um, marketing for this movie. So I don't know if you knew that, but I'm sure you did. I I definitely (laughs) did know that. I definitely did know that. Hey, Disney never misses a chance to cross market, right? That's right. That's right. So... All right, so we go into the exposition, which is delivered via comic book. I mean, it's not fully animated. It's panels of a baby Mickey, Donald, and Goofy, and a really little Pluto uh, being bullied and then rescued by the Musketeers and tells us that is why Mickey wants to be a Musketeer. They saved him. He wants to save other people. Right. He kind of gets the gift of a real Musketeer hat. Um and he kind of starts dreaming of his turn, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's a cycle. He's a little guy now, but one day he'll be able to be a hero, which I dare say is something small children relate to, mm-hmm. right? Sure. Um, I will say that one thing that my young, when my son was young watching this was, he did he did feel like he wanted to see an animated baby Mickey, Donald, Goofy, and Pluto rather than the, the comic strips. He oh. like 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 you could have made a show for him, which was Baby Mickey, Baby Minnie, Baby Donald, <gasps> and he would have loved it. Right, that's good. Mm-hmm. That that would have been his pitch if we were doing for for this, for sure. That's but a we good moved, pitch. It is a good pitch. <laughs> but we move into the story, and we see that Mickey, Donald, and Goofy have not yet achieved their dreams. Uh, they are put to all sorts of menial labor as the musketeers outside train. Uh, they are terrible at even the simplest of tasks they are bullied by their boss captain of the guard pete 
who takes a moment to tell them they're never going to get their dream. They're never going to be musketeers. And he takes a moment to point out, gives very specific reasons for each of them. Uh, he says, uh, you know, he looks at the goof and he says, he's a, he says, the goof is a doofus. Um, he looks at Donald and he says, Donald is, is a chicken. And he looks at Mickey and Mickey is just too small. Right from the start, we know two things. Our heroes are bad at what they do, but also, uh, and like Pete's not wrong for saying maybe these guys don't have the right stuff, but they are as underdog as underdogs can right. be. Right. Right. They've just been, Mickey has this earnestness that like one day everything is going to work out and he's going to get his dreams. And Pete comes in by minute 15 and says, that's not happening. Right. Maybe not even minute 15, maybe by minute seven, you're never getting your dream. Uh, which is, which is great. Uh, what would you say is the inciting incident of this movie? Well, I had to think about this for a minute. Um, it's a little tricky. It is. So there's a lot of exposition, uh, but there's a moment where, and I th- and we've we've met Minnie Mouse. We take a moment to meet Minnie Mouse and some exposition too. Princess Minnie and right. Lady in Waiting Daisy. Right. We meet them and we see that the Beagle Boys are, you know, trying to hurt her um, because they got Pete's um, edicts wrong, I guess. Um, so Pete makes Mickey, Donald and Goofy Musketeers in a sort of idol's blessing where they get what they want. Right. But there's this dramatic irony that's really interesting and thematically so let me unpack this a minute because it takes it takes a minute sure Pete Minnie wants bodyguards correct and Pete gives Minnie the appearance of what she wants but he knows full well that these guys are not up to the task and we know it full well that they're not up to the task but Mickey's really pure of heart like you said and Mm -hmm. it's why Minnie falls for him he truly believes he can take on the bad guys and it kind of reminds me of Pete's scheme sort of reminds me of the Broadway story, The Producers, where yes. the three of them actually become good at musketeering. But the inciting incident of them being this elevated fish out of water is a great setup, I think, for the backfire. The, the stakes are high. The threat is real to Minnie. Mm-hmm. Mickey, Donald and Goofy do not deserve, as of yet, the role of protecting Minnie. No. So we know that the threat to Minnie is greater than any of the other characters actually know. And there, right. and and when you talk about dramatic irony, which is like your thing, My that's thing. this movie. Mm-hmm. That's this movie. The only person who knows what's going on is Pete. Our heroes don't know. Our 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 damsel doesn't know. No, but but, but we know. We know that Mickey, Donald, and Goofy are being played here. And Minnie is being played here. Right. And I think you're right. That's the inciting incident. They take on the job of being musketeers, which is an interesting inciting incident. They're getting their dream early. and Which, not, which not, made me scratch my head because I was like, oh, well, if they've always wanted to have it and now they're having it and we've got another hour to go in this movie, why is that happening? 
but, but never we fear, know it's, never fear. It's it's all for it's all for good, right? Right. We know that they think they've had their dream, but it is not true. Right. We know that they're in an illusion, and that that I think is the difference. They don't know to want more, right? So the movie continues for some time. Uh, Mickey, Donald, and Goofy inadvertently thwart the first attempt at kidnapping Minnie Mouse. Uh, but uh, Mickey and Minnie, there seems to be a bit of an attraction there. Um, and I have to tell you, I love seeing Mickey and Minnie in love with each other. I, Pretty great. I, I don't know what to tell you about it. It is arguably like no one will ever be surprised when Mickey and Minnie fall in love in a cartoon with each other. That's right. what they were meant to do. But I still love seeing it. I yeah. still love seeing it every time. I I love the way they're animated when they when they're making eyes at each other. I oh, love the great. blushing. I love the stumble after the kiss from Minnie that Mickey always does. I I'm just a fan of the two of them, and I hope to be invited to their wedding one day. That would be great. That uh, would too. be great. That would be great. Um, but. What actually happens is there is a second attempt at kidnapping. And what Pete figures out is you don't go after these three guys together. You pick them off one by one. Mm -hmm. So he uses his trusted lieutenant, Clarabelle, to lure away Goofy. Um, there's, a, there's another attempt to, kid, to separate Donald. Donald learns the truth that Pete is the bad guy, goes back to Mickey, tells Mickey we're not really musketeers, it was all a lie. Goofy's already gone. Uh, and for me, there's a strong emotional beat. It's not the uh -huh. climax. Where it's Mickey turns... It's, it's, it's arguably the most emotional scene in the movie for me. Uh -huh. Mickey turns to Donald and says, we're going to do it. We're going to work together. As We'll be brave together. We'll rescue Goofy. We'll save the princess. Just believe in our friendship. Nothing can happen. And Donald's response is... I just can't. And he runs away. I mean, that's so good. It's good. It's honest. I got a little misty. Um, I did too. You know, he's a lovable coward, right? His cowardice is under completely understandable. If somebody has been lying to you about who you are, or put you, you know, set you up to be a fall guy or whatever, you, you might be tempted to leave that. I mean, I mean, there is a part where, like, Goofy earlier in the movie says to Mickey and Donald, like, we're going to go rescue the princess or die trying. And, like, right. Mickey, Mickey and Goofy go running off and Donald goes, wait, what? <laughs> die? <laughs> exactly. I didn't sign up for that. I mean, he doesn't say that, but, but like. like but there's, it's, a, it's, there's also a lot of gag work, too, that gets us here. Like, we see their flaws in these gags, which is so yes. great. So great. Where would you say the climax of this movie actually is? Where would you say we reach our climax? Well, I think it is the place. Well, it's the probably the opera. I think so. Where, too. yeah, where the three of them come together and they realize that together they're taller than Pete and they're bigger than he is when the three of them are together and they can take him on and do and best him. Yeah. Because again, forces of good, forces of evil clash, right? Everything comes to a head at the opera. Uh, our heroes have united and in their in their union have found their strength. Uh, and Pete, uh, you know, who wants to be king of France by getting Minnie out of the way, 
is publicly defeated by Mickey, Donald, and Goofy. That is the climax of this movie. If our heroes fail, Petey is king of France. That's it. And what's crazy is, I get the feeling that if Pete had come to Minnie and said, hey, would you let me be the ruler? She would have been like, be my guest. (laughs) No, no. Okay. No, Minnie, Minnie, because Minnie loves her people. And Minnie, 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 the only burden that Minnie is under in this movie is that they won't let her marry a commoner. And it makes her romance with Mickey forbidden love. But Which you is know romantic what? to her, right? I, I mean, but also she loves that. So, like, yeah. like I don't, I don't think she's got a problem. No, nope, uh, she's awesome. I honestly think Pete, Pete is lucky to have gotten where he is, and mm-hmm. what have you. Did you, did you feel shades of Radigan's, uh, Radigan's scheme? I did. I did. Felt very similar to the Great Mouse Detective. Yeah. So apparently, yeah. that's how mice operate. Uh, uh, I, I guess, I guess it is. Um, that being said, we have some very quick falling action, which is Pete has been defeated mm-hmm. and on stage, Mickey and Minnie are together and they're in love. Daisy and, and Donald are kissy face. Goofy and Clarabelle Cow are like hugging each other romantically. They've all found love, Andy, and I'm happy for <laughs> all of them happy movie with happy people in love and we see that and then we cut to a scene where now we see mickey donald and goofy are with all the other musketeers accepted as equals they've gotten their dream yeah uh it's a happy ending it's a star wars episode four ending right when they're commissioned as royal musketeers and they go up to you know it's very much like uh Han Solo and Luke Skywalker and Chewie going forward to be knighted by uh, Princess Leia felt very similar to me. And our Good. narrator has gotten to tell his story and can yes. get even one more of his songs in there. Yes. He's happy too. Our narrator <laughs> has won. The forces of narrator have defeated the forces of evil. It's good. Everybody's All happy. Good. Yeah. This is such a it, this is such a great movie to watch again and again with your little one. Everything, everything is good. Everything is good at the end. And there isn't any, um, it's not didactic, but there's oh. certainly lessons to be learned here about sticking together, about um, people that might not have your best interests at heart and not trusting everybody. Um, Being but underestimated. It, mm-hmm, sure. Yep. It's good stuff. Good stuff. I- Let's get into some characters. We've talked about the troubadour a little bit. Uh, what do you, what do we think? I mean, what I like about the troubadour is the same thing I like about the narrator from Winnie the Pooh. He loves the characters in his story and wishes them well. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's I I do not believe the narrator of your story needs to be neutral. And I think a lot of these movies often like have the narrator look, I'm just telling the story. I'm from a distance. Right. Uh, But this is a movie for kids. I think you're allowed to demonstrate genuine love for your characters when you're telling the story. You chose to tell the story. You chose to tell it because you loved it. And, and, you know, it's okay that he's a little silly, you know? There's nothing wrong with being a little silly. No, especially in a movie for children. Um... Mickey Mouse, the star of the show. What do we think? 
Well, so one thing that I like when I watch when I watch movies, and we'll talk about this down the ro- road when when we see when we see our established cartoon characters or Muppets in the role of literary characters. I like it when when really you're highlighting the character that they are in mm-hmm. this. Mickey is Mickey if he wanted to be a musketeer. He's right. motivated by friendship. He's motivated by kindness. He's in love with Minnie Mouse. He's doing all of his Mickey things in a setting that he's not designed for. He's not designed for sword fighting uh, French adventure. Right. But it works. It works. Um, I mean, he's a willing musketeer, right? Yeah. I, I mean, he's excited. He sees the hat as sort of a calling. He gets a little overzealous at first, right? The thing I love about him is that Goofy makes mistakes and he still loves Goofy. Sure. Donald runs away and he still loves Donald. Yes. Yes. Because because there's Mickey loves unselfishly. That is at the core of who this character is. For sure. Uh, a seal is in his bathtub. He's going to love that seal. A pair of chipmunks are destroying his Christmas tree. It's Christmas. He's going to love those chipmunks. Mickey just loves. And and that's what we like about him. Yeah. There is one scene which we call the Mickey sad scene where Mickey is in the bottom of a, of a dungeon where it's going to flood and he, and we watch and he's like, my friends will rescue me. And Pete says, um, you know, Donald, the duck abandoned you and the goofs getting fitted for a halo. And when, as soon as Pete leaves, we watch Mickey like start to cry. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That was hard. That was a hard hard moment. It is. I think that idea of being abandoned of the all hope is lost moment is so it's touching. Like it is a grab you by the throat moment. And again, his hit when he reaches out to Donald to say, we can do this, we can do it together. And Donald just turns his back on him and you just see Mickey getting smaller and smaller in that scene. And it's just, ah, oh, it's a lot. Mickey deserves the happy ending in this movie. Yes. We really are rooting for him. We really are. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Donald Duck. We talked. We've talked a little bit about him, but um, I love the scene where the troubadour uh, sort of lights a fire under this him is emotionally. The end. Yes. <laughs> yes, where he sings a song about hating. Look, because you can't give Donald the song. We've talked about right. this before. Donald doesn't get to sing a song. It. it as as much as we love Donald, that's not where his skill set is. I that's can't a great. That was one of, I can't understand you, Mickey. I love that line where, where Donald gives this long speech and Mickey's like, Donald, I don't understand a word you say. That's another <laughs> great moment in this. I will I will say, if I'm going to be pedantic, and that's what I do, <laughs> Donald Duck is many things, but Donald Duck is not a coward. Right? Mm. Uh, I've never seen Donald be afraid before. Whereas Goofy's Goofy's flaw in this movie is absolutely Goofy's flaw in quote unquote real life. Um, here we're seeing Donald as a master actor taking on the role of a version of himself that would be a coward. Right. Um, the thing about Donald Duck is Donald Duck's flaw famously is his temper. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if I would be happier with the duck isn't in control as his flaw as opposed to the duck runs away. You know, 
You know what I'm saying? Like that's yeah. The real I mean, Donald I think Duffy. again, I think we're trying to tell a story, and so he's he is in a role, um, but he does he does rally, and you can, he can be his temper can be roused. But as we you know, find like, out. like do we always have to typecast Donald? Let's that's let right. him expand his versatility, his chops, if you will, uh, and uh, dis- display display his true talents in this movie. I I think it works for the story. I just don't know that it works for Donald, but I still love it. But I still love it. Yeah. Um, I also, I also, sorry. sorry. I also like how, like, he starts making eyes at Daisy and Daisy's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's pretty. Um, Goofy uh, really has a good arc here. He has a great arc. Where he goes from goofball to hero. There's this speech that he gives to kind of shore everybody up where he says they can do anything if they do it together. And the best part of this movie is when he's fooled by a shadow puppet of Mickey Mickey that is actually Clarabelle. And he's captured by her and chained up by her and is hanging off a bridge and he thinks it's romance. (laughs) But you know what? It becomes true. Yes. It becomes. So the thing that I noticed about Goofy in this movie is they don't go when, when Pete says, Goofy is a is a doofus. What he mm-hmm. really means to say is Goofy is stupid. Right. Right? Like they make the sound of a phone with it, the receiver off the end going ding, 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 <laughs> to show like that there's nobody home up. Phone's off the hook, right. Right. But actually, I think what they're demonstrating is Goofy's intelligence is different. But it's not that he's stupid. He's just not conventionally intelligent. There's that scene in the tower where like Mickey and Goofy are up at the top and Goofy's mind suddenly maps out this bizarre chain of, okay, I'm going to jump out the window. I'm going to hit the tree. The tree's going to bounce me to the windmill. The windmill's going to hit me to the cow. The cow's going to kick me back into the tower. And that's how we'll rescue Minnie and Daisy. Right. In other words, he's not conventionally smart, but his brain came up with this divergent way of achieving his goal. Mm-hmm. And I like I like that because because like that go- that Goofy is an outside the box thinker. That's a fun thing to put on Goofy. Yeah, he's the hero of this movie. I mean, he saves Mickey, right? He yep. convinces the trio to stick together, and he turns Clarabelle from a villain to an ally. That's not bad. He uses the power of redemptive love. That's it, right? Yep. I, I, I mean, how? Who? If I was chained up by an insane cow hanging by the side of the bridge, would my brain come with up with you have to love her to get out of those chains? I don't know. I don't know that I'd come up with that solution. <laughs> but Goofy does. Goofy does. Pluto. Pluto is the emotional barometer of this movie. When he growls, there's something menacing afoot. When his tail's wagging, things are happy. So it's kind of fun to watch Pluto, I think. Pluto is the smartest character in this movie. Agreed. He's, he is he is smarter than Mickey, Donald, and Goofy combined. Definitely has a high emotional intelligence, doesn't he? Yeah, and he's he's really the fourth musketeer of, of this of this group. Um like like he doesn't he doesn't get a lot of moments to shine, but you're always glad he's there. That's right. I like Pluto. That's He's a right. good boy. He is. Minnie Mouse. I just had breakfast with Minnie Mouse a couple of days ago. Oh, at Disney World. I did. I did at Cape May. So 
So it's a great, oh. great little place for your, you and your family or you as um, a couple. <laughs> like we did this is, I think, this is Minnie, Minnie Mouse's biggest role to date. Um, I unless think you're you count, right. Unless you count the wonderful world of Disney special, totally Minnie, in which she, uh, like, falls in love with Elton John. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know that we've ever seen Minnie so empowered. Um, she's the queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has wants. She stands up to Pete. Uh, she believes in Mickey. There's a lot of spotlight on her. What she wants. What 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 her goal is. I don't. She's usually she's usually like just girl Mickey to the side, sort of passive. I mean, I would think about like the Brave Little Taylor. Um, she's pretty passive in that film, but yeah. in this movie, she's really, um, she's good. She's grappling with, like, we're getting more of a sense of her personality. She believes in love even before she meets Mickey, mm-hmm. right? She she rejects the idea that she has to get married for political reasons. She wants to get married for romance. For love. Um, right? mm-hmm. You know, and there's a genuine feeling that just everybody she meets, she wants to be her friend. Everybody, all of her subjects, she wants to be happy. Uh, like Mickey, she approaches everybody with love. And yet she doesn't trust Pete. Right. She's right. Not to, well, she's right not to trust Pete. Yeah. And then in her in she also has some conflict with Daisy over who she can and can't pursue romantically. Right. And Daisy's sort of a, a grounding factor in her life, I think. Yes, I, I think they're 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 working as foils for each other. Minnie's head is up in the clouds uh, and Daisy is going on like, OK, but, you know, your majesty, you've got policy. There's matters right. of state sort, right. sort of things. Right. Uh, and yet idealism the two are, and realism. Yeah, they're they're very good friends and definitely inseparable. And I like, um, speaking of Daisy, I love uh, her turn and how she finally figures out that Donald is the right one for for her. I'm going to I'm going to go out and say Daisy steals every scene she's in. Oh, 100 Daisy is in on the jokes in the scene. She's funny. Um, there there's the one scene in which. In which, like, um, Minnie says, oh, my gosh, Mickey and I have the same last name. It's like destiny. And Daisy's like, oh, man, I hope that's not true, because then I have to end up with Mr. I'm going to get you a little snack. Yeah. (laughs) Great. I just so many great lines in there for her. Honestly, this is definitely Daisy's best performance to date, Mm -hmm. too. I, I think I both I think. Both of these characters get more spotlight than they've ever gotten before. I think the back and forth dialogue is so rich in this. It's not cartoonish. It's not just for the gag, although there are plenty of gags and it's certainly a cartoon. There is something going on thematically here with each of these characters. Have we ever seen them together as friends before? We I generally you see Daisy and Donald cartoons and Minnie and in Mickey cartoons. I mean the, up until the new Mickey Mouse cartoons, yes. The new um, ones, but before two thousand four, have no. we ever seen them together? Gosh, I don't I think don't think so. we have. We'll have to look. This might establish the mini Daisy friendship. hmm And it's a great friendship. For sure. For sure. Um, Captain Pete. Pete's kind of a, we've seen Pete in a lot of Disney shorts and um, back to his peg leg persona as peg leg Pete, mm-hmm. which is, which is classic Pete. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I mean, he really thinks the boys are screw ups and he throws them into a laundry dungeon. He scoffs at their dreams. And he's got, (laughs) I mean, he's got a point, right? Yes. I mean, the traits that those guys do have, they have, do make them lousy musketeers. And ironically, he's going to put them into the situation where they have to grow. I think his song is really interesting to me. I think so, too. What do you find interesting about it? He's born in a prison. I mean, first of Mm -hmm. all, how sad is it? Um, And instead of looking at the just the sadness of that and wanting to grow from it, he just embraces it and becomes mean. I think I think there's even more to it than that. He talks okay. about his mother. We see a we have, we see and we see a picture of Pete's mom mm-hmm. and how she didn't believe in him, right? Um, and so that he had to become tough and he had to become mean. But he and and one day he'll get his dream of being king of France to show his mother, who never believed in him, what he can do. But that's that is the irony. Pete does to Mickey, Donald, and Goofy what Pete's mom did to Pete. Pete's mm-hmm. mom told Pete he could never have his dream. Pete does the same thing to our heroes. Right. So much like, projection. Has, You're right. Yes. Like, yeah. like that, like really Pete's mom is the real villain of this story because mm. she raised Pete to, to have to prove himself in this underhanded way. The first thing he says when he becomes King of France for all of 45 seconds is, Look, mom, I'm king of France. Like right. in your face, I achieved the thing finally you thought it. I never could. Right. Right? He and that's good foiling. Our villains wants are similar to our heroes wants, but Pete is doing Pete is willing to do terrible things to achieve his dream. Mickey, Donald, and Goofy want to do good. Right. Well, there's another villain in this movie, Clarabelle Cal, and her first role is a villain, right? Um, First and only to my knowledge. Right. But she can't say a villain for long. Um, what do we think of Clarabelle? She's. <laughs> it is an inspired resurrection of the character. Yeah. Clara- Clarabelle is a classic Disney character who never really took off. They never really knew what to do with her. They made a lot of jokes about the fact that she has an udder. There were some cow puns. Um, but nothing really. And look, they even have an udder joke in this one where, where Goofy is like, uh, you're. You, I'm your your bovine looks have put me utterly under your control. Uh, it's a little subtle play on words there, um, but but like hey, strong female empowered character doing villainous stuff. Uh, you know, I'm down. Horace Horace Horse Collar is still living in ambiguity, <laughs> not ambiguity in um you know, I don't know. I don't even know the word. Obscurity. Obscurity is the word I'm looking for. Horace 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 Collar is living in obscurity. But Clarabelle gets a reinvention here. And they use her more going forward after this. Uh, It's it's a great revamp of the character. Pairing her romantically with Goofy works. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's weird because it makes me wonder is... I mean, I'm not a speciesist or anything, but I still don't know what Goofy is. <laughs> Goofy is Canis erectus. Uh, uh, that's that's, right. that's he's what he's a dog he that walks I, on two two legs. I I, I don't want to. I don't believe that Max is Clarabelle's child, though. I do okay. not believe that. Yeah, I I think Jessica Rabbit has a better claim to that than Clarabelle does. But but I'm still I'm still open to solving this mystery. Ah, that's amazing. Uh, the Beagle Boys. 
make an appearance here, which was delightful to me to see them. Uh, and they're working for Pete, of course. And of course, they're bumbling everything as they go. One of them is French and two of them are British. Did you notice that? <laughs> What's the story there? Don't know. But aren't they interesting as you have the Beagle Boys, but then you and they're kind of bumbly and you have Mickey, Donald and Goofy and they're kind of bumbly. And, you know, you can bumble for good or bumble for evil. Right. And one of them is a little guy, just like mm-hmm, Mickey is. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. They, and it also it also elevates Clarabelle in this weird way. Pete's like, these henchmen are disposable. But whenever Clarabelle is in, he's like, trusted lieutenant. Mm-hmm. Like, like Clara, Clarabelle is the one he respects, not these guys. Right, right. I mean, he just kind of uses for- them as henchmen. But you, you feel like that relationship, but, you know, he could give, he doesn't really care about them. And I don't think the Beagle Boys could have been musketeers either. Um, yeah. So that's an interesting, but they're just sort of side henchmen. Yeah. Blunkies, you know, but they're familiar a little mm-hmm, bit, and they're mm-hmm. fun. I, I and they've had a beef them. with they've had a beef with Donald Duck before, so we've we we know about that, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the music in this movie. Uh, the production team wanted great music. They had very little budget. I mean, a lot of the movie, uh, a lot of these animated movies, the music is a huge part of the budget. So they took a page from classic cartoons. They found some epic um, operatic pieces and they just went to town. Uh, Chris Otsuki, one of the storyboard artists, is also a lyricist. So he would write these lyrics pretty quickly and then the music department would tweak what he had done. Um, they, you have some things from Orpheus. You have things from the Nutcracker. uh the blue Strauss. I mean, this is Beethoven Symphony Number no. Five, Pirates of Penzance, of course, a Carmen. It's all in there, and um, I think it's a really interesting. There is also a soundtrack that goes with this that would be a really interesting introduction to classical music. Which, if you're, I mean, if you're Gen X and older, that's probably how you learned about classical music was through Looney Tunes. I, I mean, kill the wabbit. Um, mm-hmm. What's opera doc? Right, the rabbit sure. of Seville. Sure. That, those those are how I learned these these songs. Um, there's there's one tune that whenever I hear it, it's classic. It's classic music, but I always re- remember it as Gargamel's theme from the Smurfs. Right. Uh, look, is it a cheat to use classical mu- music here? Sure, it is. Was it great? It was great. These like my kid was singing these songs. My kid learned these tunes. Mm-hmm. Um, the bit where Clarabelle is doing harmony with a bunch of other Clarabelles uh, on the bridge had me cracking up oh, in so funny. ditches. Uh, I I, enjoy, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the music. I did what too. What a I great sweet- solution! Yeah, it is. It's it's it, it's so clever because again, it's royalty free music, and you can um, make it what you need it to be. So. If you needed, if you told me I had to listen to this soundtrack or Pocahontas Two, uh, the New World, <laughs> it, I'm listening to this. Yeah, there is a song called Three Is a Magic Number," uh, which is from Schoolhouse Rock. In fact, oh, it's wow. from the first Schoolhouse Rock song, uh, which was on the pilot episode of Curiosity Shop in 1971. That's so, for the end credits, right? That's when mm-hmm, that one comes up. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So that's a fun, a fun little piece. But yeah, um, other than that, everything is opera. Yeah, Chains, of, Chains of Love is my favorite. But then they also just do straight up Gilbert and Sullivan. For oh, part sure. Of sure. I mean, that's yeah. and that's fun, too. And yeah, which is which is great because in like the Pirates of Penzance, midway in the middle of Pirates of Penzance, they get into a fight and they break into an opera house and fight in the HMS Pinafore, which is another Gilbert yes. and Sullivan. So so we have Mickey, Donald and Goofy going into Pirates of Penzance, which will eventually go into HMS Pinafore. Uh I mean, that's, that's, that's so fun. It is super fun. fun. And I I love these little nuggets of things. You can watch it on a couple of different levels, uh, which I love that about this. Lots of really smart things happening all the time. Honestly, I have no beef with any of this. Like, I don't have anything and go, well, this should have been this way or this should have been that way. I think this is excellence from top to bottom. And I tend to agree with the filmmakers. I think it could have been a theatrical release. I, I think it would really have been good. a big hit. I think mm-hmm. they missed out on money. I think it's sad that a, probably a number of our viewers are like, I've never seen this. I've never heard of it. I've never heard of it. Mm-hmm. Because I really do think it would have made killer at the box office. I think they were wrong uh, to, to hide it. Um, I do want to talk a little bit, Andy. Mm-hmm. We have had this impromptu conversation about what can be in a G-rated movie and what can't be in a G-rated movie. Right. We've been talking about that all season and maybe even maybe even last season too. I so so is the answer that by 2004. So like so we're looking at like things like The Princess Diaries, we're looking at things like Air Bud, you know, where we're never really worried about our characters. In in this movie at one point Donald Duck has his head in a guillotine. <laughs> and it's coming down and I watched my kids both squirm because they were really not comfortable. And like he, he pulled his head out. Uh, mm-hmm. We watched. There's a moment where you hear the guillotine go snap and you look and you see that, you know, Pete's peg leg has been chopped off. But for a moment, you're wondering, what did it hit? Uh, Mickey, Donald, Goofy, they pull out swords and they fight. At one point, it looks as if Mickey might drown at the bottom of a tower. Mm-hmm. Uh like there's a lot of stuff here with implied violence, and yet this has a G rating, right? Tar- Tarzan got a G rating, yes. But these live action movies cannot do as much, and I'm wondering what you make about it. Make of it. What? Where? Where? Well, is I mean, on? I I think it's because of the cartoon. It's too real when it's live action. And a child might look at that and feel like it's real, but like if they're looking at, but if they're looking at something that's animated, maybe not so much. But again, some of these animated sequences, like you mentioned, are really intense. And yet preschoolers, I think, I don't know. I think ratings are just sort of, I mean, what scares one kid may not scare the other. You know, in these G-rated live-action movies, nobody can kiss. Uh, mm-hmm. Daisy gives Donald a bunch of kisses. Mickey and Minnie get a little smoochy too. So does Clarabelle and Goofy. I, uh, I, like, like, arg- arguably, I mean, I don't want to say that these scenes are hotter than this live-action scenes, but, 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 like, there's physical affection being expressed here, right. and, and it's fine. Kids can handle it. Well, I think it's normal too to see people kiss. Yeah. And to see people fall in love and to see people have um 
Yeah, I don't think there's too much. Yeah, I I don't know what the the criteria are, but it does seem sort of arbitrary, doesn't it? You you, you just can't fight the story. If the story requires a kiss, there needs to be a kiss. If the story requires some action, there needs to be action. And I think a lot of the movies that we criticized, um, uh, Princess Diaries, we criticized for this specifically, uh, just are like, well, well, we just got to... They're trying to make a G-rated movie and like just stopping the storytelling uh, because they're afraid of crossing a line. Here, they're not afraid of crossing lines. They're just telling a story and then we get the rating that we get. And look, the rating ended up being a G. Right. I, I just, I, I don't know. I, again, I, I'd be really interested to see. I, it makes you wonder, like, is it like a, is it like a family courtroom where, there's laws on the books, but they're sort of subject to interpretation based on the circumstances. That's Mickey Mouse. How can it be PG, right? Or, honey, you know. Honey, I Blew Up the Kid is PG because of frenetic action. Well, there is but plenty of frenetic action in this movie. <laughs> there's so much. I, I mean, I don't think there's any action that isn't frenetic. Everything's frenetic. Right. <laughs> Everything's pretty wild, for sure. Well, I'm sure yeah. you and I will continue to have that conversation as time goes on. Yeah, there's uh, one or two more G-rated movies somewhere in the Disney vault. Let's see if we can find them. A couple. Um, we have some notes from you, our listeners. Ooh. And you guys are the reason why we continue making this podcast. You send us memes. Um, you make suggestions as to what movie we should see next. You've even offered to allow us to borrow your DVDs in case we couldn't find something, which we truly appreciate. Um, so we want to read some of your comments about our podcast because it's just so, so sweet. Um, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll read a few. And then if you want to read a few, that'd be great, too. So, um, yeah, Nikia says... I love listening to the podcast because even if I've never seen the movie, I love the analysis Andy and Larry provide. My favorite episode so far is the Muppets Take Manhattan, Mm. which is a great one. It really is. I remember seeing it in the theater as a child and all the memories came back while listening to that one. Keep up the great work. Oh, I mean, that is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's a good uh, one. I have so much love. I, I could watch it. That would be the movie that I could watch every day for several years <laughs> and never get tired of it. Never, ever. Okay. Dennis says, I grew up, that's my friend Dennis. I grew up laughing at Andy's jokes and enjoying her weird and brilliant insights into life. Listening to the podcast makes me feel like a teenager again. Once upon a Disney is the secret to eternal youth. <laughs> I, I mean, we are grown up kids. I mean, did we ever really grow up? I don't know. I mean, not willingly. Not willingly. Yeah, it is. Society yeah. has made demands upon us. But. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Barbara says, I love hearing your improvements to Disney stories, better endings, better structure, etc. You know, we always try to offer fixes. Um, because everything can be fixed. And a lot of times, sometimes I wonder if there are executives who get in the way of the storytellers here. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that for sure, but sometimes well, no, you feel I mean, it. In our, in our experiences, the, the problem is there are too often too many cooks in the, in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, I think, you know, 
a lot of a lot of the movies that we've done have the potential to be better than they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know that you can ever put the blame on any one single person, but but uh, it isn't always better for having more eyes on it. Uh, it's often safer for having more eyes on it, but safer is not better. We don't want to watch movies that are too safe. Right. Too- well, there needs to be good conflict. There needs to be... We need to really care about the protagonist's journey, right? So, and if the stakes are low, why would we care? I will never forget your fix for The Lion King 2, which I think is amazing. And uh, I have completely forgotten it. (laughs) Well, then you and maybe some of our listeners should go back to that one in which Andy Andy suggests a fix for Lion King 2. And I spend the rest of the podcast going, I have nothing else to say except how smart you are. (laughs) That's, that is one of my favorite fixes that we've ever done. That's really sweet. Um, I Yeah, because literally when I put one of these to bed, I'm on to the next thing. So I will. I remember everything forever. <laughs> it is my, one of my most annoying traits. Annoys <laughs> me, annoys the world. <laughs> you remember what you said six weeks ago? No, I yes, did not. Uh, Katie says, I got to start writing, which is the best thing I've heard about from my friends. uh, I'm so grateful that you want to write. I adore this podcast. I listen while I drive and it's so lighthearted and fun that nothing on the road bothers me. No more white knuckles on the steering wheel. Oh, thank you, Katie. (laughs) That's super sweet. Uh, Lisa writes. Once Upon a Disney makes me happy, makes me chuckle, and makes me talk back to my phone. I love hearing Andy evolve from agreeing with Larry, although she has a different view, to holding her ground and telling him he's wrong. Larry Everyone loves when I'm wrong. Larry, Everyone you're, loves when I'm wrong. you're wrong about Al and Bagheera. What? Okay. First of all, Lisa, Lisa is my friend okay. also. Okay. But, okay, look, I understand that people... Like Bagheera, although he is loathsome and talks about Mowgli as if he would rather have watched Mowgli die than have to have sat through the Jungle Book. But fine, you like Bagheera? I can live with it. But <laughs> Owl is a monster. And we have movies coming up where we will see Owl's continued descent into greater and greater villainy. <laughs> Honestly, honestly, there, I, I do not, I, I am not wrong on this. I'm wrong about a lot. Owl is a monster. And, and Lisa, one day, one day, I hope you and I, uh, I will try not to say I told you so when you realize I've been right all along. I will t- as, as for me evolving for agreeing with you, I have made that evolution. Part of that was I was also producing with a brand new platform at the same time. And sure. it was easier to not uh, interface with you um, because I didn't really know how everything worked. But I'm, I've got after 100 episodes, I have a pretty good handle on it. So, Larry, you're it's, wrong. It, I, I, <laughs> it is a thing I have heard my whole life. Uh, I'm not, it's not new to me, but you know, I say things very passionately, but I'm passionately wrong. That happens. Uh, Andy, I've got one to read to you. That oh, I've got one more. Ju- I've got one more. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, let's see. From Suzanne, she says, I love your kind voices and how much fun you're both having. It's fun and instructional. Love Once Upon a Disney. Aw, thank, thank you. Suzanne. Thank you, all of you who wrote in. It's so sweet. I've got one more that came to our our Gmail account. 
Okay. Uh, this one is from Thomas, Larry, and Andy. Happy 100th episode. I look forward to your podcast every week, especially when an animated or Disney Channel movie is covered. I also enjoy the bonus episodes. I would like to put forward a suggestion. Okay. For, okay. This is uh, Power Rangers Mystic Force. What? Season 2, colon, Dark Wish, episodes 18 to 20. Power that Rangers was specific. Power Rangers was once owned by the mouse, so it would be fun to hear both or either of your opinions on this on a main or bonus episode. Here's to more. Sincerely, Thomas. Now, okay. Andy, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna go to you here. Uh, I looked into this. We have rules about what we'll cover and what we won't cover. Right. So so we're not cover. You know, we're not covering, for example early Star Wars stuff ever. I don't know that we'll ever cover Star Wars. It doesn't feel Disney to us. I think we feel the same way about Marvel stuff. But there are, are and we generally feel that there are movies that like Disney bought after the fact, but they're not really Disney, right? right. Like, like Disney purchased it, but Disney had no hand in making it. Disney mm. did purchase Power Rangers and they did start making episodes. Will you commit Right here, right now, are we going to cover Power Ranger episodes at some point in this podcast? Well, the audience has spoken. So, yes, I would absolutely do that. And I'm also like when I will absolutely look at Power Rangers. Um, I did not think that would be your answer. And you now I am trapped by your consent. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. The I will say Power this. Rangers are awful, Andy. Oh, no. <laughs> That's hilarious. I will say that I actually liked Power Rangers. I, my um, sons really loved them when they were little. I I will Let's say go that into I... your Zorns from the beginning, Power Rangers. It never works till you get into your Zorns. Form the mega robot in minute two. The episode can be over in minute four. Why do we need to slowly escalate over time, you know what works. Pull out the big guns from the beginning. This is not hard. They need no combat are they, skills. Are they? I remember almost nothing about the Power Rangers. Are they just like just war Power Rangers though? Where they start small. So, so the and Power. No, so every episode is the Power Rangers. First, they're 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 like high school kids. Mm -hmm. Then they put on their suits, and when their suits, they like fight like ninja style. Yeah. Then then the monster grows to giant size every episode so Sweet. they get into their animal robots and then they fight for a while but they lose and then they remember that they can form all of their animal robots into one giant mega robot they form the mega robot and then they win if they just remembered that's how they win you just skip those other steps when the monster is small you come out in the giant robot and you squish him done yeah, but it doesn't yeah, it doesn't. Okay, so we're yeah. definitely covering uh, uh, okay, something yeah. at some point. Well, no, and I wanted we'll to say, too, that I am open to um, revisiting Marvel and um, Star Wars. Ooh. I am. Ooh. I'm open to okay. that. Okay. I At first, I, I thought maybe not, but now I'm going, you know, I could. I'm excited about next season. I know Pirates of the Caribbean's on there next season. I know that. Um, Finding Nemo. Extremely, I'm extremely goofy, for. goofy movie is in there. Yeah. So yeah, I'm excited about some of these that are coming up. So 
I'm happy to do a Power Rangers little trio of episodes. Okay. I don't know that we're ready for for this version because this is 2006, but I believe Power Rangers Ninja Storm is open. So we'll take a look at that, maybe. (laughs) Maybe so. Maybe so. Power Um, Rangers, noun adjective, adjective noun. I don't know. Oh, no. Larry, I have a question for you. So what's the, and I'm going to kind of put you on the spot because we didn't plan for this, but what's the one thing that you've learned in a hundred episodes of looking at Disney movies? Oh my gosh. The one thing. What's, what's one learned? thing? Oh, and maybe not the one thing, but what's one thing that you, was it a happy surprise? Is is there something you've discovered along the way that you've really been, that's really been I, good for you? I think that, um, uh, uh, it's not su- not such a thing. It's not so much a thing that I learned as a, so much of a thing that I think we've proved mm-hmm. that that the post discussion of a movie is so rich and rewarding. Um, there are so many treasures that we've gotten from digging digging around these, mm-hmm. and it's and I always knew that that was true. I always knew that analysis would get us those things, but. But it almost always, even when the movie is something that we dread, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, we've, we we learned things from movies that I would never have thought to analyze. I would never have thought to analyze the Santa Claus. I would never have thought to analyze the rookie. Uh, and I would like, like, that's that's the thing, like the, the sitting us down and analyzing that really is, I think, the treasure the the lessons we've uncovered along the way. Yeah, I mean, you make me think about how I everybody says, "Oh, let's do dinner and a movie." I'm like, "No, let's do a movie and a dinner because I need to talk after this movie." And I, I think that's the fun part of of looking at all of these is first first of all getting my initial response is just like a regular viewer, and then getting my initial my response as a writer, like, "Well, what did they do with structure, or how did they handle this problem?" Or they got into it. It'll be interesting to see how they get out of it um, with this protagonist. So, all right, Andy, yeah. I've yes. got a question for you. Uh-oh. You're not prepared for it. Uh oh. Okay. Because because you forced me to be sentimental, I'm going to okay. force you to be mean. Andy. Okay. We okay. have done a hundred Disney movies. We have. Some were amazing, mm-hmm. and some were good, <laughs> and your inclination was always to love all of them. Mm. So I am asking you, of the hundred movies we've done, which was the worst? Which is the one you will never go back to? I I think it's going to have to be the Disney original, Disney Channel original movie, Xenon, Girl of the 21st Century. If, If I never... I had never seen that movie. Um, I, yeah, I, it bothers me that Zetus Lapidus, it bothers me that that sticks in my brain. The things that I don't want to stick in my brain do. And that is one of them. And which, I, which one is worse? The original or Xenon oh. 2? <laughs> oh gosh. I, they're equally bad. I think two is bad because I I, I don't know. I, I, I It must have been just a sad year for children's television that little girls like this so much that, uh, and maybe little boys like this so much that maybe, uh, maybe. that they were doing it. I don't know. 
that they came right, up I'm holding with the your feet to the I'm holding terrible. your feet to the fire because Xenon Three is around the corner. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming. Z Three. It's coming. And for we us. are completionists, so we are have to. We can't. We're we gonna have, have to. We have thirteen more Airbud movies to watch too, <laughs> so that's also coming down the pike. Awesome. Awesome. I think one of the other lessons that I've learned um, in doing this podcast is that you should always launch messy. Maybe, maybe launch when things aren't perfect. I know we've developed over time. We've developed kind of our sequence. We've developed the little bits, the little things that were fun and we kept them. Our sound quality is better. Our our editing is better. Everything's better. And, and of course, technology has gotten better in the past few years. Now, um, the thing that the platform we were originally using isn't the platform that we're using now. It's a little bit different. And so we've been able to, um, yeah, get better and better as time goes on. So it's been fun. It has been fun. Yeah. Because if we had waited for the perfect, it would have been the enemy of the good. Right. Yes. Which we say often. You launch <laughs> right. messy or you don't launch. That's, that's it. Right. Those that's are the right. Well, that's it. Our hundredth episode uh, coinciding with Disney's hundredth birthday. How crazy is that? That is pretty crazy. What a ride. Well, if you like what you're hearing, will you do us a favor and share this podcast with another Disney or a classic movie fan? And you can always check out our Once Upon a Disney Facebook page or drop us a line in our mailbag at onceuponadisneypodcast at gmail.com. So until next season, friends, see you real soon. See this, Lapidus. <laughs>